Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you in the study of your word and ask you just to guide and lead us as we look at what you would have us to learn from these verses that we're going to examine. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all saints, for the hope which was laid up in you in heaven, wherefore you heard before in the word and the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is to all the world, and brings forth fruit, as it does also in you, since the day that you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is your faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we have heard it, do not cease praying for you, and do desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So I want to look at this. Paul is telling the Colossians that he gives thanks for them. He's thankful for them. He wants to keep them before God and the other people. As it turns out, he's, he's giving thanks to, down through the centuries <laughs> as well. But, you know, is that our attitude toward God? You know, are we thankful to God? Are we thankful when we see other Christians working for God? Now, there's a lot of times that churches will get jealous about other churches being successful. People will get jealous at other people's successes. You know, that is a wrong thinking completely. We need to be looking at it and saying, well, that church is ministering over there. Thank God. <laughs> because one thing, not every church is called to do the same thing. You know, a church in the inner city has a whole different ministry than a church that's out in the suburbs where everybody's wealthy and has a whole different set of needs. Both have needs, both have wants, but you're not gonna run a soup kitchen in the middle of the affluent neighborhood. Because you know, number one, then if you draw the people to that neighborhood, they're gonna be mad at you, and most of them don't need a soup kitchen. <laughs> but if you tried to run an affluent church in, a, in the middle of the downtown area and not meeting people's needs, then you're not ministering to people. And I've been doing a lot of thinking in these last couple of weeks and been on men, I talked to the men yesterday that we were and it's on the back of the bulletin. How do we as this church minister to the needs of this community? And there are a lot of needs out there. And it's not just food and all this stuff. You know, we talk about this and I hear comments all the time. Well, how can this person just treat their children this way or live this way? Well, the problem is they don't know any other way. So maybe as a church, and I'm leaning this way, that maybe as a church we need to take what we know about God and how to live godly and correctly and start coming alongside of some of these people and actually teaching them how to be a parent, how to be a mother, how to be a father, how to do work in a right way. Because, you know, if somebody has been three, four, five generations and never seen what a mother or father looks like, how can they be a mother or father? They're going to do the same thing their parents did and probably worse. Because that's usually the trend in our world is to do worse than the previous generation. So we're looking at what are we going to be thankful for? How are we going to serve one another? How are we going to stretch out beyond where we're at? We need to be praying about this because it's, we need to do something. Because I got thinking about you know, three generations of people being ministered 
by, to by this church, and we look at what we've got. We've got the same thing happening over and over again. And I'm not criticizing the previous generations at all. I'm just saying we're, we're on that same path. You know, we've taught these kids what it, what, what it means to be saved, that you're, you're saved because Jesus died on your sins. You ask any one of these kids in our Sunday school how they get saved, and they'll tell you you've got to do good things. Okay? That's not how you go to heaven. That's not what they're being taught in Sunday school. But when they get home, that's what they're hearing. You've got to be good so you can go to heaven. You know, we've got to be able to stretch forth and do more. And I don't know yet what that more is. <laughs> how we're going to do it. How we're going to get involved in people's lives. But we need to stretch forth and save the next generation. I really believe God wants to start a revival here in Chloride. But it's going to start with us going out of these doors to where people are and getting God to be active in their life. Active in our own life. This is what Paul praises him for. He says, since you've known God, you have served him. You know, and we want to be careful. Is that our testimony? Do people look at us and say, you really serve God? Or they go, well, I know you go to church. I know you don't go out to the bar and drink, but you know, what else do you do? What else is Christianity about? And it's not that we're going out working to do good works. Our goal is to work to bring people to Christ so that they can go to heaven for eternity. And Paul says, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you, and I'm praying for you. Why is he thankful in verse, since I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love you have to all saints. You know, we think about this. What is faith? Uh, and I think about this, uh, we, we go through this uh, word, faith. We hear that word all the time. You, know, you just have to have faith. You know, faith in Jesus, the people of faith. You know, it's kind of a strange thought because what in the world means when they say the word faith usually is I hope. Okay, I, have, I, I think maybe possibly, and that's their faith. That's not what faith is. Faith in God's terms is from Hebrews 11. I'm going to read you the biblical definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, we look at this word. Faith is the substance. That is the foundation of what we believe. Okay? Now, Faith is also not this whole idea of, I just hope something's going to happen. Uh, if you were going to repel down the side of a wall, and you have this faith that you hope that a rope is going to hold you, and you will go ahead and repel down that wall or mountain, that's a pretty dumb move. <laughs> okay? If I'm looking at my rope and it's rotted and, and frayed and everything, you know what? I am not going to put my weight on that rope. Now, you give me a nice brand new rope, or, or at least one that isn't all frayed and, and rotted out, I'm going to say, okay, that rope looks like it's a rope that can hold the weight. I, I, I'll snap it, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it, it says, okay, it, it's firm, it's supple, and I'm going to say, okay, I have faith that this rope will go ahead and, and hold my weight. Faith in Christ is that same thing. There are a lot of people in this world that will have faith in Christ, they will try Jesus. I will try Jesus and see if he works. That's not the faith that saves somebody. 
If you're going to go, well, if it doesn't seem to work in the first week or two or even year, then I'm just going to go somewhere else. That's not the faith that saves you. Your faith in Christ is one that says, I have no other hope at all. If it's not true, I'm lost. And this is what we need to keep in mind. I have no plan B if Jesus isn't the answer. There is no plan B in my life. And if you know me, that's a really strange thing because I'm a manager. I love to have plan B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. So if something goes wrong, I go, okay, that, that didn't work. I'm going to go to the next thing. It is against my nature to say that Jesus is the only thing I place my hope in. But you know, this is eternity. I have no other option. If it's not true, I'm in trouble. But you know what? I know that it's true. Because of all the things God has done in this world for me, I know that what he says is true. And I'll tell people that I go, you know, when people say, well, I don't believe there's a heaven or a hell, I don't believe there's a God, and I'll ask them, what if, what if you're wrong? You know, and if you ever ask that question, be ready, because they're going to turn it back on you, but what if you're wrong? I've lost nothing. God has been wonderful in my lifetime. He's met, he's met my needs. He's given me peace. He's given me a, kind, a, a loving heart for people. I have... As far as I'm concerned, I have heaven on earth as well as the heaven in the future that is going to be a hundred times better than what he's given me here. Faith, the substance of what we believe. And for the substance of things hoped for. Now, hope in the Bible does not mean I wish or I hope. I, I kind of maybe think it might happen. That's what people in our world, well, I hope that it'll be nice tomorrow. I hope that I get a good job. I hope I get a new car. You know, they're not, there's no confident, confidence in it. In the Bible, when you see the word hope being used like this, in Greek it says confident expectation. Faith is the substance, the foundation of our confident expectation. I absolutely know that Jesus is God dying for our sins and resurrecting from, our, from the dead. You know, do I, can I tell you with 100% surety? No, but I can tell you 99.9% that I'm sure that all this stuff is true. There's still a little bit of, well, if, whatever. You know, how many people, you know, if you talk to and they go, well, I just can't take that kind of a leap of faith. You know, God doesn't ask us to take a leap of faith. He wants to make us confidently assured of what we believe. I tell people when I look at uh, Jesus' resurrection and all the proofs for his resurrection, I am beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. Matter of fact, I'm, being, I'm so far beyond it, it's not even funny because of the evidence that's in front of me. I am so absolutely committed to the fact that God created this world in six days like he said he did, because of the evidence. It's not a problem. It's not for me taking a leap off the Grand Canyon and hoping that it's all true, that there's a bridge somewhere down there, a net to catch me. It's more like, okay, I stepped over this little crack in, the, crack in my way. That's confident expectation. Now, when you first get saved, do you have that kind of confident expectation? Probably not. I sure didn't. At 10 years old, I didn't know anything. And I've shared with you, I went out and told all my friends they needed to know Jesus. They go, how do we do it? I go, I don't know. Come with me to church next Sunday. And all I know, they, they led me in a prayer. And I know that I'm changed. So come to church. But you know what? That experience also drove me to get into God's word, to know God's word, even at 10 years old. I wanted to know God's word. 
because I couldn't answer their questions and that bothered me. That bothered me even at 10 years old not to be able to answer their questions. So I went in and I got lessons on how to, how to what I believed. So confident expectation, that is what it is. And then he goes, and the evidence of things not seen. The proofs. Faith. How do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more time you spend in God's word, the more faith you're going to build. And the more faith you build, the stronger will be your evidence for what's hoped for. What's hoped for? Our eternity. Eternity is really what's hoped for, isn't it? You know, I hope that God gives me a good time on this world, but you know, as we're getting into this, my real hope is in eternity. Heaven. Spending eternity with God in heaven. And we want to be looking at this. They, he praises them for their faith. That they were strong in what they believed. He says, we've heard of your faith and your love for all the saints. And we're not going to do a lot of this because we did this last week. Love for all the saints. We need to love one another. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to like one another all the time. Because there's a big difference between liking somebody and loving them. Love is a choice. And we've talked many times about the fact that love is a choice. And there's times when you're going to see have people in the church that you don't like. It's a family. There's people in your own family you probably don't particularly like. Some people, lots of people in their family they don't like. Uh, maybe in some families, unfortunately, maybe all the people in their family they don't like. <laughs> I hope it's not that bad, but you know what I'm saying. We all know that there's people in our family that we don't particularly like. But you know what? Don't they usually get invited to the, to the big family reunions? They might not get invited to every family picnic or gathering, but if it's a big event, they're going to be invited. There's going to be people in God's family you're not going to like. But God says you're to love them. And that love will be something that we express to other people. And this is an agape love, an agape love that's important for us. We're going to go in on verse 5, and it says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore you have heard before in the word of the gospel of the truth. Where is our, where is our hope? Now, is our hope in heaven? That's what the gospel is all about, isn't it? We're saved. Why? For eternal life. Now, as we say that, though, I want to remind everybody, and we've said this before, when does eternal life begin? The moment God comes into your heart. The moment he gives you that new spirit, your eternal life has begun. If Jesus Christ is in your heart right now, you are experiencing eternal life. You're not experiencing heaven yet. <laughs> Maybe you are. I don't know. Most of us aren't experiencing heaven on this world. <laughs> You know, you might be feeling that you have a better life than other people because of God's presence, and I do. You know, and I've, I've shared with you, I don't feel like I've had a lot of hard times, and I say that to certain people, and they look at me like, and they laugh because they go, you know, you've had really hard times, and I don't look at them that way. And we're going to get into why I look at them, because I'm going to agree with Paul. You know, but you know, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is that to be absent from this body is to be present with God. The moment your body dies... Your spirit just steps right into eternity with God, right into heaven with God. You know, so we want to look at this, and, 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 uh, but let's look at what Paul is saying for this hope. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
I'm going to start reading at uh, verse 7. But this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the excellency and power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, yet but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in you, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according to as is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken, and we also have believed, therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God, which for this cause we faint not, but though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by, by, day, by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We look at this and Paul's telling us what we know is true. Lots of bad things happen to us. <laughs> okay, he said we're in despair, but we're not. We're not perplexed. We are. And see what all did he say? We are. Uh, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're burying our body, the body, the death of Jesus. Yet we live. Why? Because God lives in us. But you know, he got to the end of all of this, and did you catch what he said? He says, "For our light affliction." which we is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, I want to go to another verse real quick just to tell you what Paul thinks light affliction is. Now, if you know Paul's life, you know that this is going to be kind of an interesting story. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. I am ministers of Christ, for I speak for... Make sure I'm in the right place. 1122. I speak like a fool in labors more abundantly, in stripes of measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes. Twice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Once I suffered, uh, three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journey and often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils in false brothers, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, there, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. <laughs> This is Paul's definition of light affliction. <laughs> is this our definition of light affliction? None of us have gotten anything close to this. And yet sometimes and many times, we as Christians go, this is way too much. God, I just don't like what you're giving me. You know, Paul said, everywhere I'm going, people want to kill me. You know, I get beat every city I go into. He goes, and if you notice, he goes, in the city I'm in trouble, in the wilderness I'm in trouble, on the road I'm in trouble. <laughs> And see, I'm in trouble. It kind of goes everywhere I'm at, bad things are happening to me. And Paul describes this as light affliction. But what was he looking at? He says, these light afflictions 
are for a moment. Okay, how long was his moment? The rest of his life. Until, they, until Nero took and, took and decided to relieve him of his head. Okay, like short time, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever it was, that he finally lost his head. He goes, but it's only for a moment. Why? Because it works a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God let Paul understand that what happens in this world is absolutely nothing compared to eternity. Where is your hope? What is your thoughts? Where, where is your eyes? When we go through hardships, if we were to go through pure hell, kind of like Paul was describing or that Job went through in, in his lifetime, where is your thoughts? Are your eyes on, okay, God, whatever you want for now? For now? What if you live to be 300? And nothing but pain and suffering for 300 years, but you're going to have eternity with Christ. Is it worth it? I think so. Paul thought so. Paul, and I'm sure Paul at times also grumbled and go, God, this is awful lot. I don't know if I can handle this. But you know, overall, he goes, God, my eyes are on eternity. My eyes are on heaven. When you're going to reward for all of what's going on in my life. If our minds and eyes are on this world, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable all the time. Because this world is nothing compared to heaven. You're going to look at all the people making fun of you and joking at your expense and making, making you look miserable and, and thinking that you're a fool for being a Christian. And maybe in the very near future, punishments in jail and, and beatings and sufferings like Paul had to go through and in, in in all the other disciples in that day. You know, we're not that far away from suffering for Christ. We need to start looking at this, the light sufferings of this world compared to eternity. Get your hearts ready. Because if you're not ready now, if you can't have and look to heaven now while it's easy, when things get tough, you're not going to look to heaven. If you can't share the gospel now when there's no penalty for it, don't try to convince me that you're going to share it when your life is on the line. It's serious. We're here to bring the gospel to the world, to bring people to Christ. And if we can't do it now, we won't do it later on when there's, when there's trials in our, in our midst. We need to get the attitude that Paul has. I'm looking to heaven. No matter what happens, I'm looking to heaven. Because as me, even as wonderful as I think my life is, and even all the problems that I've had in it, it's nothing. Even all the wonderful things we have are nothing compared to heaven. You know, listen to people sometimes tell me, well, you know, I know the grandma's up in heaven looking down on me to watch me. Now, I have a question for you. When you get to heaven and you're able to look at Jesus in pure perfection, are you going to look back to this earth and, and all the darkness and garbage in it? You know, there are a lot of people that are striving to do the angel's job instead of ruling over angels. Our destiny is to rule over the angels, not become angels and do their job, because that's not who we're going to become. We're not becoming angels. We will rule over angels. The angel's job is to come down here and be ministering spirits and keep us out of trouble. You know, they have a really awful job. They have to leave heaven and come down here and see all this garbage going on, knowing what they're leaving behind to minister here. Have you ever thought about that? 
What an awful job they have. You know, leave this perfection and go down there and, and keep bad things from happening my, to my children. What an awful job that must be. You know, have you ever thought about that? You know, but we want to keep this in mind. Our goal is not just to come and watch over. Our job is to rule. We are joint heirs with Christ. We will rule for all of eternity. Who will we rule? Well, the only other created beings we know of are angels. <laughs> we're going to rule over the angels. And the Bible tells us clearly that we're going to rule over the angels. And so we look at this and, and we just uh, go forward and he says, in verse 6, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day that you heard it and knew the grace of truth. Does God's word bring fruit in your life? This is where we're going to stop today because God is asking us for fruit. And I'm challenging us to look at what is the fruit of your life? And we want to be very careful of this. We don't want to get introspective, but you know, it's very sad that many Christians have problems even following God. We've talked about this. There's 50% of all Christians don't believe that there's a devil. Now, I don't know how you would be a Christian not believing that there's a devil. I, technically, you can. But you know that we have an enemy. And if you don't believe you have an enemy, you're leaving yourself wide open to the attacks of the enemy. We have almost 70% of all Christians who do not read their Bible every day. This is our spiritual food. I don't know very many people who only eat once every week. Physically. You get a little hungry. You know, some of us can go a day or two with not too many problems, but you know, it's hard to go a whole week without eating. Unless you're purposing to do it. And yet most Christians will not feed their spirit but once a week if they think about going to church that once a week. You know, for some, it's once every month. For some people claiming to be Christians, it's Christmas and Easter time that they think about feeding themselves twice a year. How would you like to feed your body twice a year? Uh, God, I just think I'll eat twice a year. No big deal. <laughs> But the really sad thing is that their spirit is not demanding to be fed. Try not to feed your physical body for a couple days. <laughs> you know, your stomach will be grumbling. You'll be, your, 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 your gut will be sore. Does your spirit demand being fed? I hope so. I hope that it does. I've already shared with you. I, I don't even want to try because I'm listening to God's word on the Bible, on the, on the radio, and I go to work. I'm listening to people speak. I, I'm always listening. I don't even want to find out what it would be like not to feed my spirit again. But we need to be thinking about this. What is the fruit of our life? Are we loving to people? Or are we very snippy and, and angry with everybody and grumpy with everybody? Are we helpful to people? Or are we stingy? Are we trying to minister Christ to people or are we basically saying, I don't care if you go to hell? You know, if you have not shared the gospel message with people, you basically are telling them, I'm, I just expect you to go to hell and I really don't care. And we've shared this with you. That's a very sad thought if it's family members that you haven't shared it with. 
to hate your family enough to say, I just want you to go to hell is pretty bad. But what about your friends that you're afraid to offend? Well, I really like spending my time with you, but uh, I'm not going to share Christ with you because you might get mad at me and not want to be with me anymore, so I'll just let you go to hell. I hope you like your friends a little bit more than that. And I'm speaking to myself just as much. I'm not, I'm not the greatest evangelist in the world, but I try to share Christ with people. Probably not as many as I should. But you know, we need to get out there and share Christ with people. Why we got uh, tracts in the hallway in here for people to take and give out tracts. We are doing the evangelism class to teach people how to share Christ. We, we go out and we go out on the streets to help people learn to share Christ. Most of us are afraid to share Christ because we're afraid of what people are going to think about us. And we've got to get over that. We've got to get over that and say, I'm going to share Christ. The alternative, if we don't share Christ, is that they're going to spend eternity in hell. Eternity. That is a very long time. All because you don't want it to be mad at you for a couple years. Now, we want to be careful about this. Now, does that mean you're going to share Christ every single time you see your family member? You're going to beat them over the head with the gospel? Probably not. They probably wouldn't want to spend any time with you. But have you shared Christ with every member of your family? Yeah. This is something serious. Has every member of your family heard the gospel of Christ? Now, some families, yes, they have. They, you come, they come from Christian families, and, most, and they've heard the message. And again, I'm not saying every time you go to see this family member, you're going to go, oh, you're headed to hell, you need to get saved. No. You, you know, plus, you need to be a little gentler than that. <laughs> you know, if you tell people you're headed to hell, that's not a good opening line <laughs> for witnessing to them. Okay. Uh, you first need to make sure they understand they're a sinner. <laughs> then you can tell them they deserve hell. But... We want to be sure that our friends and our family, at least, we've told the gospel to. Because the alternative is an eternity of punishment. And if they reject you, that's their problem. It's fine. You've told them the, you've told them the gospel and they've rejected you. Your hands, are, your hands are clean of their blood. But if you've never told them, when they stand at the white throne judgment, they will have every reason to look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? You knew this and you didn't tell me? As they're being cast into the lake of fire? And they will have every right to accuse you. Share the gospel with people. They need to know. And I know this has been hard. You've got to keep hearing me talk about this a lot lately, but it's, I am so convinced we're at the end, so close to the end days, that we need to get the gospel out. We need to start getting the gospel out while it's easy to get it out. Because I'm just telling you, if you're not sharing the gospel now, you will not share it when your life is on the line, it's just, or, or your freedoms are on the line. When it gets to be against the law and you go to jail or get beat for telling, sharing the gospel, you won't start sharing it all of a sudden, well, gee, I could suffer for Christ. I'll go, I'll go preach gospel, I'll go tell people about Jesus. Won't happen. And the sad thing to me with Christians is, usually a new Christian, they're, they're fun to watch. They're telling everybody about Jesus. They know nothing. They can't answer any questions. All they knew is they said a prayer, and they're telling everybody about Jesus. Then we start walking with God, and we start learning how to answer the questions, learning how to tell people how to get saved, and we stop telling people about Jesus. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But it happens all the time. Why? Bluntly, we lose our first love. 
Jesus complained to the church of Ephesus, you've, lost your, you've left your first love. For many of us, we've lost our love for Christ and his word and the excitement that it comes into. I can tell you, I remember when I was excited about everything because my life had been changed. Everything was new. And it is human nature that when something gets a little old and you get familiar with it, that you get less excited about it. But we need to learn to love God with our whole hearts again and share him and be excited about him. His mercies are new every morning, the psalmist tells us. His mercy endures forever. We need to be looking at him and saying, God, refresh your, my love for you today. Lord, give me opportunities to share your gospel with people today. Have you ever asked God to do that? No. That was one of the assignments in the evangelism class. And then that week, one of the people said, well, I asked and people were put in my way and I didn't share the gospel. I'm going, oh, man, make sure you share the gospel next time. But, you know, we've got to get that boldness. We've got to get that excitement and the real understanding of what's at stake. Eternity's at stake. If we're not sharing the gospel, we're basically saying, I hate you, go to hell. And it's a serious statement. And I just, I really want us to understand, we as Christians are here for one reason, and that's to make disciples. If that wasn't our call, then God would say, okay, you got saved, come to heaven. Now, that would be really nice if that happened, but I don't know how the next generation would get saved. If you did that to disciples, okay, you guys, you, you've shared, you, you got saved, come to heaven. That would have been it. Twelve guys. Well, maybe a couple hundred you know, that he talked to Jesus, but, you know, a couple hundred people, okay, here's, we've got heaven, here's, here's all the people that knew Jesus. But he says, no, you've got a job, you're to share the gospel. Each one of us is to share the gospel. And do you realize Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said that if each, per, each Christian led one person to the Lord, the world would be evangelized in less than 10 years. We have been evangelizing the world for almost 2,000 years. Something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong. It means that most people who claim or say they're a Christian are not sharing the gospel and leading even one person to Christ. Then you got people like Billy Graham who, say, who leads thousands of people to Christ, making up for a number of people, but you understand what I'm saying? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we out there telling people? Now, most of us do a poor job at it. I'll tell you right off the bat. Most of us do a poor job because it's, you know, not our style. But that doesn't mean God says don't do it. And the gospel is really simple. We've covered it many times. First, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. <laughs> We're all sinners. Now, that's usually not hard to convince somebody of, other than the one lady I talked to this week. You know, who believes she has not sinned. <laughs> Two, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We deserve punishment. God is a good judge. He's not going to say, well, I think you're mostly good, so I'm going to forgive you. you know, and if you ask somebody that has that attitude, well, I think I'm good. I think God will forgive me. You ask them, well, if somebody was to appear before the judge, they're really guilty and I like to even make it personal. Who do, you, who do you love the most? 
If somebody killed that individual and stood before the judge and said, Judge, I just had a really bad day that day. I've never killed anybody before in my life. I don't plan to kill anybody again. You know, I'm really a good person, but I just had a really bad day and, and brutally killed that person. You know, I'm sorry, forgive me. What's the judge going to do? You know, the good judge is going to say guilty. A bad judge might say, and he wouldn't keep his judgeship very long, okay, go ahead, you're, you're, you're a good person, go ahead and go. God's a good judge. He's going to judge us for what we've done wrong. Not what we wanted to do, not what we think we should have done, not what we planned on doing, not what we did most of the time. He's going to judge us for what we do wrong. And you tell people that. And what did God do? He sent Jesus. God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And all we've got to do is call out to him. You know, what do people have to do? Just tell God they're sorry. You know, it's really not hard to even get people to, to say the prayer. You know, they go, what do I need to say? Just tell God you're sorry. What would you tell your, what would tell, what would you tell your husband or wife if you were sorry? I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. Tell God. <laughs> tell God you're sorry and you, don't plan, and you need his help not to do it again. How easy is the gospel? Not a hard gospel at all. And yet we're fearful of sharing the gospel with people. You can tell it to them in 30 seconds if you really just want to blast through it. We're all sinners. We deserve hell. Jesus died for us. Confess your sins and repent. <laughs> well, that, that message may not go over very well, but you know, Jonah didn't do much more than that when he went to Nineveh. He went in, walked through the studies, repent, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. <laughs> that was his message, according to the Bible. Repent, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days as he walked through the city and walked out and stood on the mount, sat on, on the mountain to watch the city be destroyed. Why did he not give a better message? He didn't want them to be saved. They were his enemy. <laughs> you know, his message wasn't very nice. It wasn't repent, God really loves you. You know, repent, you're going to be, you are going to be destroyed in 40 days. As his message mentioned, he probably didn't yell out repent very loud. Okay, it was probably repent, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. <laughs> Repent. You're going to be destroyed. You know, he did not want them to repent. That's why he went the opposite direction when God told him to go there. They were the Israel's enemy. He did not want them to be repenting. Now, if Jonah can get that kind of response from that kind of a poor message, what kind of message can you, results can you get if you just put half a heart into giving God's message to people? You know, it's an amazing thing. God is going to fill your mouth. He will be the one that fills your words. All you need to do is learn the message and God will, God will expand upon it. One of the greatest things when you're witnessing is listening to yourself answer questions you didn't even know you knew the answers to half the time. Because God is speaking through you and not you speaking. But you've got to do it enough to get that kind of confidence. And the challenge for us is what is our fruit? What kind of fruit do I have in my life that, that God is bringing out? What kind of fruit is coming out of your life? When people look at you, what do they see? What are they seeing when they look at you? Are they seeing Christ in you? Or are they seeing a hypocrite? And, and most people don't come to Jesus because what they see in the average Christian is a hypocrite. People who say one thing and do another. Go to church and then don't, don't love, any, love on anybody the rest of their life. You know, always criticizing, always condemning. 
God has called us to love our enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pretty serious statements. And most Christians go, well, you're not in church. I'm not, you know, stay away from me. You got needs? Oh, definitely stay away from me. That doesn't mean we give away everything that we own, but, you know, we need to be aware that some people need help. Some people need more than just physical help. They need to know how to get the spirit correct. They need to know how to live correctly. Our job as Christians is to disciple people, bring them into how to think like God thinks. It's a big job. Once you lead these people to the Lord, you, that's only the beginning of your job. You get to now teach them how to follow God <laughs> or make sure they're in a church to learn how to follow God. You know, we need to be looking at this with our, any of our grandkids. If you have grandkids, are you discipling your grandkids? Are you teaching them about Jesus? Are you teaching them how to think about God? Your great-grandkids. You know, maybe great-great-grandkids. <laughs> you know, are you ministering to those in your family to make sure that they're following God? I'm looking forward to going out next week to talk to my son and my grandson. Now, I don't think my grandson's going to know a whole much, lot about what I'm talking about, but he's going to t I'm going to be telling him that he is going to be a great man of God because his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather are going to make sure that he's going to learn about God because he needs to. He won't understand it. He won't even hear it, but it's going to be spoken over him. And every opportunity I have as he gets older, I'll make sure he knows the Bible, that he hears the Bible stories, that he knows that God loves him and has a prepared place for him and that he needs to follow him. Why? Because it's very important. All of our kids got that message. Any grandkids I got are going to have that message. If God tarries long enough, I have great-grandkids. They're going to get the message. Why? Because I want them to be in heaven. I want them to be in heaven, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that they hear the message. It is important for us. We're going to, we're going to close here today and... We're not going to do the in songs because it's already past 12, but I just want right now to, as we pray, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I know the testimony of most everybody in here that, that you say you do, if you don't and you're convinced you don't, then ask him to tell him, I'm sorry I haven't believed in you. I'm, I'm sorry for the sins I've done. I repent. Help me to be who I am and come into my life. Most of us, if not all in this room, are Christians. What is the fruit in your life? Today, I'm asking you to bow your heads and ask God to help you start ministering to other people. Give you a heart to minister to other people because this is the most critical thing that we're here for, to share the gospel, to lead people to Christ. If we're not doing that, we're seriously on the wrong path and we need to get straightened out. And we need to examine our heart and say, God, where am I with you? Do I love you enough to share you with, that, with others? Because what do you do? If you really like something, you talk about it, don't you? If you're a sports nut, you talk about your team. If you're into arts and crafts, you talk about your arts and crafts. If you're into sewing, you talk about your sewing. How important is God in your life? Do you talk about him? Does he come up? Do people know that you're a Christian? We're going to pray right now, and I want to, some of you just to pray with me as I pray the, the second half of this prayer, or this first part. Lord, I just challenge right now 
each person that's listening to this live and on the internet, that we make you serious in our life, that we are the number one most important aspect of our life, that we will share you with others. Lord, give us a heart that must speak, just as Jeremiah said, I purpose to not speak, and your words burned in my mouth, and I could not help but speak. Lord, I ask, for those that are willing to take the challenge, that you burn in their hearts, you burn in their mouth, that they cannot help but speak you, that they will be known for the opportunity to share your word with them, that they will be equipped with tracts, or equipped with your word, and equipped, ready to speak. Lord, put a burning in our hearts that we will see chloride turned upside down through a great revival that we will see people come to Christ and then be discipled and become your servant. And it will start with us speaking to them the gospel message. Lord, we ask that fire to be burned into our hearts. We ask that you burn it into the people's mouths that they cannot help but speak. Lord, we're looking for a great miracle from all of this, and we ask that you put it on people's hearts to seek after discipleship and evangelism. Lord, we ask that you go with us today as we go about our business this week. Give us opportunities to share. Give us many opportunities to share each day. Put a heart and burning fire into us as we go out from this, this building into the world and the mission field that we're to look at, and that you will be guiding with us as we go forward. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.